Welcome, and thanks for listening to this message from City Bridge Community Church. Our heart at City Bridge is to call all people to be fully devoted followers of Christ. To learn more about City Bridge and how you can take your next faithful step with Jesus, check us out online at citybridgechurch.org. Now, here's the message. college, I got to roadie for a ministry called Breakaway in College Station at the Texas A&M University. Yep, holla blue. And uh, what a roadie is, if you don't know, is someone who kind of comes ahead of time and helps to set up uh, the instruments and the chords and all the things that kind of make this moment happen. And so that's what I did in, in college with Breakaway. And they had kind of a rotation of uh, musicians come in, and there was this one week where my favorite musicians at the time were coming in, and that was the Shane and Shane. And uh, they were big uh, back in my college days. They're big still now, but I remember just being so like geeked out, right, over like, I get to be with them. This is going to be incredible. I get to hold their guitar. I get to reverse wrap their chords. Maybe I get to talk to them, or maybe I get to interact with them. And I started to kind of dream, maybe they're going to invite me on the road with them, and I could leave everything and follow them on tour because they need someone to reverse wrap. And then maybe they could train me up in the way of the Shanes, and then we would all of a sudden become Shane and Shane and Derek, right? Or Shane, Derek, and Shane, or Derek, Shane, and Shane. You know, I was kind of good with whatever they had for us, but uh, here's what actually happened. An hour before I was set to meet them, all of College Station experienced a citywide blackout. And so insert Aggie joke there, right? Uh, But what happened is every single thing went out in a moment, all called station, no lights. And so it was a big bummer because what happened was the guy who led the program, who was the teacher each and every week, someone who I was starting to get to know and someone who I was really looking up towards, gathered all the volunteers together, about 100 of us, and said, hey, we hate saying this, but the event's canceled. And so I was really bummed out because I just had these dreams of Shane and Shane glory about to play out. And, but he said, hey, I live on the outside of town and we actually have uh, lights, we have electricity. And so he looked at these hundred volunteers, this guy who led the organization, this guy that I was looking up to, to and he said, hey, why don't y'all come over to my place and we'll just kind of as a team hang out. And so I got in the car and I did what I thought kind of everyone else was doing and I drove over to this guy's house and I got there And what I found, what I thought I was gonna find was a lot of people gathered together, and what I found was not that. Um, I walked in, and I saw the guy who was leading the program, Shane, and Shane, and then just good old Derek. That was it. And I don't know if you've ever been around like someone that you've kind of looked up towards or someone that kind of has that kind of notoriety or or, or fame and they would hate that because there's no such thing or there shouldn't be such a thing as like a Christian celebrity, but they kind of fit that bill. They were doing things that I love to do. The guy that was leading the program, I was like, hey, I feel like God's leading me in that direction to, to kind of do what you're doing. You're kind of at the height of the field and I was getting to know him and then these two other guys, Shane and Shane, like they, they had records and I had listened to them in the crowd and yet now I was like with them. And if you've ever been around someone like that in which they just have this like notoriety about themselves, like all of a sudden I became like very self-aware, you know? I was just like, ooh, like what do I say? How do I interact with them? Like what do I do with my hands? Like I was just so like focused in on me that I actually thought about leaving because I looked around at the group and I was like, okay, one of these things is not like the other, right? And, And that 
one was me. And so I thought about leaving, but they wouldn't let me. Uh, They initiated with me, and they pulled me in. And these guys that I had known about their ministry and heard their music, I was all of a sudden getting to know them. I had been in the crowds. Now I was on a couch next to them. And let me tell you, it was incredible. Because these guys deeply loved the Lord and they deeply loved one another. I found out very quickly that not only did Shane and Shane know each other, that's an obvious statement, but this other guy did too. In fact, they went way back. They were old friends. And so I was sitting there and at no point was the spotlight really on me. And the times that it was, it was like I was kind of still a little bit awkward. But what, but what was happening is I was sitting down with them and they were talking about like the good old days and stories and, and sharing kind of inside things that, that they had done together. And I got to sit there and I got to ask them questions about their life and their journey and, and music and whether or not they were looking for another person to go on tour with them, you know, that was willing to change his name, you know. And I got to interact with them. I got to hear them. I had heard them from the crowd and I got to now sit with them on a couch and I got pulled in. I was one of the first people to know that Shane B was dating Bethany, uh, 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 I can't even say her name, Bethany Dillon, uh, which was another famous singer at the time. And so I was like, wait a minute, you and her, Like, like this was amazing. I got pulled in to this relationship that was full of laughter, full of joy, full of stories, full of love. And I left that night so blown away and so filled up thinking that was one of the best nights I've had in I don't know how long. It was incredible. Now I say that to you because of this. That is the heart of God for you. That before you existed and before time existed, what we have was a God that perfectly existed in this beautiful relationship with one another between Father, Son, and Spirit and this perfect unity and equality and distinction and this perfect love that bound them together because they loved one another and what C.S. Lewis calls this great dance of God, that God is so in love with God that there's this beautiful, whole, full relationship within the Godhead. And God so loved himself that it overflowed into this creation account in which God creates everything, a world that's full of life and love and beauty and abundance. And at the centerpiece of his creation, he makes little hymns, little image bearers. He makes you. And his heart for you is that you would be invited into this deep relationship to know him, to walk with him, to have life and life abundantly as you're invited to know the God who loves you. And yet we know the story. Humanity sinned, turned their back on the author of God, and just like a blackout covers a city, darkness covered the whole world, and this world is broken. It's not the way it should be. There's hardships, there's suffering, there's sin. And yet God speaks out a declaration to come and to see him. There's light at my place. And I wanna transfer you out of darkness and into my son's marvelous light. And when you do, you will be invited into a relationship that already exists, a relationship that is full of love and laughter and joy and meaning. And it gives your life purpose to know the God who is. That is the heart of our God. And that is what the book of John is all about. We're starting a series through the book of John right now and and the hope of this series is the same hope of everything we do on Sunday mornings and it's the hope and it ought to be the hope of your life which is to shine this like beautiful radiant light on the person and work of Jesus the Christ. 
that he is the centerpiece of all things, of, of God's plan for us to know him and to walk with him. And so as we move through the book of John, we see the heart of God in the person of Jesus Christ. If you ever wanted to know, how does God see me? How does God see others? How does God see people who are far away from him and have lived lives of sin? How does God see people that are trying to earn their way back to him? You look at the person of Jesus. We're gonna shine a spotlight on him. To him be the glory forever and ever and ever and ever. And we're gonna see that Jesus wants to sit down with you. He wants to look you in the eye and he wants to encounter you. We titled the series, Encountering Jesus. Because in every single chapter, what we see is Jesus like sitting down with, with individuals or groups of people. And it's like Jesus is looking us in the eye. And when we see him for who he truly is, it begins to transform our lives. And so as we move through the gospel according to John, we see these kind of three different movements to help us see Jesus. We first see his public ministry that he encounters people publicly, that's John 1 through 12, that we see this movement of God, that God is sitting down with different individuals. Think of the story of like Jesus and Nicodemus or Jesus and the woman at the well or Jesus feeding the 5,000. These are stories in which Jesus is encountering people on a public level. But then in chapter 13, something shifts. He moves through encountering people publicly to now pulling people in, his closest disciples, and encountering them privately. He's gonna have a lengthy conversation with those that are closest to him because he knows he's about to go and lay down his life for them. And he's preparing them for the road ahead because ultimately we see Jesus encountering the world through his passion ministry in John 18 to 21. Now that word passion is the Greek and the Latin for suffering. That we see the utmost picture of God's love for us. And the fact that he came and encountered us publicly, privately, but then in his passion. And each one of these movements, there is one central message that John wants us to see and hear about Jesus. If these are the big movements, each one of these has a central message to it. And it's simply that when you believe in Jesus, no matter where you're at with your journey with Jesus, when you believe in him, and believe in him more, and believe in him more, that belief leads to life. You see, not a lot of books of our Bible actually go ahead and tell us why that book exists, but John does. At the end of the account of John, John's gonna explain to the readers and explain to us that this is why he wrote it. He says, now Jesus did a lot of other signs in the presence of his disciples, which actually aren't even written in this book. There's only 55 days recorded of the life of Jesus. That's not a lot. But every single story was written for a purpose. And John says here, these things are written so that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the son of God, the fullness of who he is, and that by believing, you might have life in his name. And so the primary message of John to us is this, that when we believe in Jesus, that we are actively, emphatically called to believe that Jesus is the Christ, the savior of the world, and that by believing we would have life in his name. And just in case we miss that in John 20, John uses belief 98 times in the book of John. 
you kind of can't miss it. It's four, four to five times per chapter. And that word belief is always in an action. It's a verb, it's a command. It's calling you to respond with your encounter to Jesus that we don't just encounter in Jesus and then move on with our lives, but there is a fork in the road that you either believe in him and who he is and what he has said, or you don't. There's no in between, but when you believe in Jesus, it leads to life. 42 times does John use the word life. He's connecting these two realities that when you believe, it springs forth to life. And that word life is the Greek word zoa. It means eternal, spiritual, abundant life. And so the message is clear that when you believe, trust in, affirm, respond to Jesus, that springs forth to you to have the life that you are meant to have, abundant, spiritual, eternal. And so I don't know where you're at in your journey with Jesus, but he does. And this book is written for you. So if you've been walking with Jesus for longer than I've been alive, and you've been leading Bible studies and walking deeply with Jesus and serving and, and getting to know him more and more each and every day, then guess what? This book is for you. Because belief isn't about just this one-time action we did years ago, but it's an ongoing reality that God wants to push us into a deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper trust and faith and belief in him. So if you've been walking with Jesus for a while, welcome. If you're in here and you're going, my friend tricked me into coming this morning. Like, I, I, look, I'm, I'm kind of curious. I'm kind of checking this thing out. Then welcome. This series and this book is for you because Jesus is for you, because Jesus is for everyone. We are gonna see Jesus interacting and engaging and encountering people of all walks of life, from every different tribe, every different tongue, every different ethnicity, every different social class, every different everything, because he's showing that the light of the world has come and he's inviting us into a deep relationship with him because he wants you to believe and that belief would lead to life. And so with that being said, let's encounter Jesus in John chapter one. As we look at John chapter one, what we're really gonna see is these three major movements that John wants us to encounter Jesus with and help us to see. We're gonna see his incarnation when God became man. We're gonna see his identity that Jesus came to fully show us who God is that we might understand who he is and who we are. And then fully, we're gonna be pushed into a moment in which we have to respond to his invitation that the word of God has become flesh and he's inviting you into a relationship with him. And so first up, we're gonna see his incarnation. And in chapter one, verse one, it says this. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. Put your feet up for eternity and wrestle with that. All things were made through him and without him, not as anything was made that was made. In him was life and that life was the light of men. Light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. And so notice a couple of things here. One, there's so much echoing of the creation account. In the beginning, light overcoming darkness and yet this begins with the relationship that was happening before creation even started. 
that John wants you to first recognize that there is a relationship playing out between the Father, the Son, and Spirit that has happened throughout all of eternity. That's why he calls him the Word. That's the Greek word logos, which means the full expression of God. And so what we see is that Jesus is the full reality of all that the Father is. That he's not only with God the Father, but he is God the Son. He is the word of God. And he is fully expressing all that God is to us. And it does so when the light comes into the world. This word right here, light, is used seven different times between verses four and 13. John really likes the number seven. Get ready. It's all over the place. Because seven is the concept of fullness, of wholeness in the Hebrew mindset. And he's trying to show us that the true light has come. The hero has arrived on the scene, which is why verse 14 says that this word that has eternally existed became flesh. He dwelt among us. We have seen his glory. Glory is the only son from the father, full of grace, full of truth. Not partially gracious, not a little bit truthful, but full of grace, full of truth. The high call of him calling us to objective reality and to follow him in truth, but the safe place of his grace and his kindness. Jesus is the high call and the safe place. How about that? He's full of grace and he's full of truth. John bore witness about him as he cried out, this was he of whom I said, there's a guy who comes after me and he ranks before me because he was before me. And then it says in verse 16, from his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace upon grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth comes through Jesus Christ. No one's ever seen God but the only God, the Son of God, the Word of God, who is at the Father's side, Jesus has made him known. Do not miss this. If you've been around church for a while, you become inoculated to this amazing, mind-blowing reality that the God who created your very breath took the form of human so that he might breathe and live a life that you cannot, that the creator just became a part of his creation. The author just wrote himself into the story. The majestic just became a man. The divine just became a dude that you could look at and interact with and know on a level unheard of. Or as the message translation says, the God of the universe just moved into the neighborhood. He just dwelt among us. The incarnation of Jesus forces us to deal with the objective reality that there is a God and that God deeply loves you. And ignorance is no longer an excuse when the God of the universe just moved down the street. And so I was thinking about that this week. I was walking around in my neighborhood and there's all these for sale signs in our neighborhood and I was just thinking, man, what would it be like and so City Bridge, like imagine for a moment, like what would it be like if, a, if one of those for sale signs in your neighborhood or maybe an empty apartment right next to you, all of a sudden, Yahweh moved in. The God of the Bible bought that place and moved into that place. Like what would that make you think? What would that make you feel like? Would you mow your yard? 
Would you put on your best, you know, Sunday best and make your best plate of cookies and go over there and go, oh my gosh, like, how do I, like, what do I do with my hands? You know, like, what, what would you do in that moment? It's so fascinating. I was thinking about that and my mind immediately went to that. What would I do? And yet Jesus tells us exactly what us, he wants us to do in this passage, that what do we do with the incarnation of God? He tells us to believe, to trust. You see, in verse 11, he says he came to his own people. He moved into the neighborhood. His own people didn't receive him, which is tragic. But he says all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God who weren't just born of flesh and blood, but were born of the will of God. You see, to believe in his name means to believe in the fullness of who he is. We are really good at kind of cutting and pasting God to a God that's kind of, at the end of the day, is just made in our image. And when we really think about who Jesus is, it becomes just this elaborate version of us. Oh, I love that he's gracious. And so he becomes this like kind of cosmic teddy bear who's always gonna be gracious, but it's never gonna lean into your life. Or you love that he's truthful because man, he really leans into other people. And so you just think about Jesus as like 100% truthful, but no grace. And so we recreate Jesus to kind of fit our own purposes or we throw upon him our own insecurities. And Jesus won't let us do that. But rather he's gonna call us into this deep belief, not a surface level, but a deep seated belief of all that he is. And so the question we have to ask then is who is he? Who is Jesus? because he's just made himself known. And so from his incarnation, we see his identity, his identity. And so here's the truth. What you think about Jesus will impact what you think about yourself. What you think about Jesus will impact what you think about yourself. You see, if we were to all kind of do a test here, and I were to list out all the attributes of Jesus, I think many of us would get an A on that test. Do you believe he's merciful? Yes. Do you believe he's kind? Yes. Do you believe he's gonna forgive your sins? Yes. We have this intellectual knowledge, and yet we often believe these lies about ourselves. And when we find ourselves believing those lies about ourselves, it's actually a lie that we're really believing about Jesus. And what do I mean by that? Well, in the rest of the passage, Jesus is going to be called these seven different names. I told you he liked seven. Seven different names, this full picture of who Jesus is, like this diamond that we see from all these different angles. And it's meant to expose in our hearts this misconception that we have about God and therefore ourselves. Jesus has come to make God known. And when we know God, we begin to know ourselves more fully. And so for some of you, you walk around with a lot of lies in your head. Maybe for you, it's the lie of my sins are too great. God couldn't want me. If God really knew what I did yesterday or, or last week or last year, and so I gotta kind of clean myself up before that we believe this lie that my sins are too great. Or maybe we believe the lie that, hey, I need to be in control. There's some hard stuff that happened to me this week or last week or last year and that kind of triggered in me, man, man, nobody was taking care of me and so I gotta take care of me and everyone around me and so I gotta kind of be in control of my life and my family and my, my world and my work and all these different things and so I have to be the one that's in control. 
or you know what, I gotta know all the answers. There's always things that in life are, are not black and white, but it's just gray, and I, and I get thrown into those, and I feel this burden, like I have to be the one to navigate everything. Or, man, I gotta be my own hero. I gotta be the one that saves myself. I gotta be the one that keeps saving myself. I gotta be the center of my story. When things are hard, I gotta be the champion, and I gotta, everyone's gotta look at me and go, wow, look at that guy. Look at that girl. They know the answers. They're the ones that I just, I wish I was like them. Or man, maybe nobody understands my struggles. Nobody understands because my situation is unique and therefore I don't really need to listen to anyone else. Nobody, nobody really gets me. Or maybe, hey, I should just be afraid. Watch the news recently. The world is screaming at you, be afraid to trigger fear and anger in you. Or maybe, hey, I look at the world and I feel afraid, but I look at myself and I just go, man, I just feel like every single day I gotta fix me. I gotta make me better. I gotta clean up my mess. I look around at all the pretty people around me and I'm not like them because I know my own heart. And I gotta save myself. Do you ever believe any of these? I do. My first introduction to God was this God that was distant and just wanted me to perform so that I could be accepted by him. And so these lies for years have kind of swarmed around in my head and, and sometimes one of them kind of gets the gas pedal a little bit more and I begin to be lured by these silly, stupid, sinful, satanic lies. Because that's exactly what these are. And the beauty of Jesus, don't miss this, the beauty of Jesus is he inserts himself into our story and he shows you who he is. So these lies that are driving your life and making you afraid and insecure and stressful and overwhelmed, he comes in and inserts himself. And so if you believe my sins are too great, he goes, no, I am the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. There's no one too far from me. There's no sin that's too great. I'm the lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world, or hey, I have to be in control. And he goes, no, you're not God. But I'm the son of God who's entered into our story, and I'm the one that's in control. Even when life seems chaotic and crazy, my hand is never off the wheel. And so give that over to me and find freedom and find life, or hey, I gotta know all the answers. And so no, I'm the rabbi. I'm the teacher. A lot of life is gray, so come to me and see me, and I can navigate you through with, with black and white, but also with all the gray that's in the middle. I need to be my own hero. You're not. Breathe the sigh of relief that you're not, because Jesus is the hero. He's the Messiah. He's the Savior. Hey, nobody gets me. Nobody understands my struggles. I had a hard week a couple weeks ago and I just had that thought rolling through my mind. Nobody gets me, nobody gets my score. This is like this really hard moment. I don't know who to talk to, I don't know who to ask and all of a sudden it just hit me like a ton of bricks. This exact thing happened to Jesus because he's the Jesus of Nazareth. He was a guy who lived among us. He was the guy in which Hebrews, the book of Hebrews says he was tempted in every way and yet without sin. 
so that he could be a merciful high priest that when you cry out, God, I don't get this. This is hard. This is difficult. Jesus can go, I know. I've been there. So come to me because I'm Jesus of Nazareth. I'm relatable. You can have a conversation with me. I should be afraid. I deal a lot with fear and the world doesn't help with that. But then I encounter Jesus and I'm reminded that Jesus is the king. He's the king of all things. And he's got a plan to make all things right and he's setting up a kingdom that is more glorious and more amazing than we could possibly imagine. And so we trust him even when things feel so out of control in our culture, in our world, we can trust him as the king who is moving all things for our good and his glory. And if you feel after all this like you still gotta fix you, then let me introduce you to the son of man. Son of man was a term to encapsulate all these different ideas that the God of the universe would insert himself into the human story. The son of God would become the son of man so that he would be the lamb of God to take away the sins of the world so that you can have a relationship with God. What do you think about when you think about Jesus? Because you might get this right on a quiz, but your life might betray you and how you live, how you think of him and how you think of yourself. And so what do you do when the Jesus of your mind doesn't match the Jesus of the Bible? What do you do when those lies feel so loud and are leading you in this life? What do we do with the identity of Jesus? We're told to behold. To behold. To look at. To embrace as the light cast out the darkness. We're told that specifically in verse 29. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Behold him. Behold him. That word behold is the most emphatic way to say, look at, see. It's the Greek word adu, adu. And so let's say that together emphatically. You ready? Count of three. One, two, three. Adu. Okay, that was okay. Better than first hour. We need to be emphatic. Ready? One, two, three. Adu. There you go. It means behold, look at, embrace with everything in you. Not scrolling through some verses on your phone and then immediately moving over to everything else that's on your phone. Behold him with every, all the beauty and the glory and the majesty, the, all that he is. Behold him. Put away the news reports for a moment. Put away the phones for a Behold him. See him. Because when you see him for who he truly is, it transforms how you see him and how you see yourselves. And he can replace that anxiety with joy and love and peace and let you walk this world in a way that is unheard of. And so you behold him, behold him. It's what we do anytime we see something majestic. So my wife and I, this past week, we were in the mountains. And if you've never been out of Texas, mountains are these big rocks, right, that um, you look at. They're kind of high in the distance. We went to Colorado, and 
the second day, we, we, we hiked up this waterfall. It sounds better than it is. There were stairs. Like there was, it, was, it was a lot of stairs, but we just we walked up there. We got to the top of these beautiful waterfalls. And then someone said, hey, there's this trail that goes up another mile. Um, you got to go. There's this place called Inspiration Point. Go see it. And so we started walking, and every you know, little bit, we would see someone coming back down. We're like, hey, how much further? And they're like, it's a long way. And I was like, great. Um, but they would always say the same thing. But it's worth it. It's worth it. So one person after another, hey, it's a long way. Hey, you're about halfway. Hey, you're almost there. Hey, but it's worth it. We finally get to the top and we see and we behold this beautiful overlook because we see this right here. We see trees, we see valleys, we see mountains, we see the very waterfall from such a great distance that we had just hiked up that felt so big in the moment. And all we could do was ado, right? All we could do was behold. We stayed there for over an hour. I set up a hammock and just beheld. Now, here's the reality. What you are probably feeling right now when you see mountains on a screen is nothing. It's probably very, oh, that's nice. It's why when people show you their vacation pictures, they're like, oh, and look at it. And you're like, okay, that's nice. Like, I, I don't care. Like, like, that's not, you've all been there. Or you've been the one showing everyone the vacation. And they're like, oh, okay, thank you. Oh, there's more. Great. Like, like, what do people say after showing you pictures like this? This picture doesn't do it justice. You just had to be there. And so listen, every single week we tell you beauties of who God is and what he has done for you. We show you pictures of stories of life change in Jesus' name. But let me tell you something. That is like looking at a picture on a screen. You can appreciate parts of it, but until you make the journey, until you behold, you'll always be where you're at right now. But when you go on a journey with Jesus, he's gonna show you who he is. And let me tell you, he's worth it. He's worth setting out time to meet with him. He's worth carving out time in your schedule, not just to be with him in the moment, but to think about him throughout the day so that you can behold the diamond that is Jesus from every single angle, because when you do that, it transforms who you are because you get to see him for who he truly is. And so the question we now have to answer is then how? How do we behold the identity of Jesus? Well, the answer is in his invitation, that we would accept the invitation that Jesus just is about to tell us. In verse 35, it says this, now the next day, John was standing with two of his disciples and he looked at Jesus. He looked at Jesus and his immediate response was, behold, the Lamb of God, look at him. And the two disciples do exactly what we're called to do. The disciples heard him say this and they followed Jesus. 
They heard the command, behold the Lamb of God. And their first response was, okay, then I'm gonna go and I'm gonna follow Jesus. And I love what Jesus does here. It says that they walked up to him and they saw him following him. And Jesus asked a question. It's a piercing question to them and it's a piercing question to us. What are you seeking? It's the first words of Jesus in this entire book and it's purposeful. So City Bridge, let me ask you, what are you seeking? What is that thing that you're spending your time on, your energy on, your money on, your life on that you believe if I just got that, that my life would have meaning and purpose and value. If I just got that, I would find the life I've always wanted. If I just got that, or more of that, or less of that, if I just got that thing, that is what my heart is seeking. Jesus is asking them, he's asking you, what is it that you're seeking? And I love the disciples' response. They simply say, you. Where are you staying? Because wherever you're at, I wanna be with you. I wanna walk with you, I wanna know you. And so you tell me, where are you staying? And Jesus' response is so informative for us. Because my knee-jerk response is I always think Jesus is gonna go, well, okay, before you can know kind of some things about me, first you, first you have to go and do certain things. First you gotta clean up your mess. First you gotta go and do this religious activity. First you gotta check the boxes. And Jesus doesn't do that. He asks, what are you seeking? And then he just goes, hey, come and see. Jesus' first command is simply to come. Come. And so what do we do with his invitation? We simply be with Jesus. We be with him. Because this is important. When we're with him, we will not only be with him, but we will go where he goes. We'll engage where he engages. We'll love where he loves. We'll move away from things where he moves away from things. When we focus in on being with Jesus, and not just in this little bitty moment of the day, but when we're like with him always, the one who said, I am with you always. When we walk in that reality, we will see him and see ourselves and see other people in a way that should mark all of us. And we will begin to overflow in the very love of God. And so what Jesus is calling us to do is he's calling us just to sit with him. That the God of the universe who has just moved into the neighborhood is saying, I wanna have a conversation. And for some of you, that's scary. Remember, he's the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. For some of you, you think you're so busy and he will say, come and see that I'm the one who truly gives you rest for your soul. For some of you, you just go, no, it, it can't be that good. Like, like, like I, I have to go and do so that he'll like me and he'll love me. And the beauty of our God is he says, come. 
and the moment it feels too good to be true is actually the very moment that you were just beginning to scratch the surface of all that Jesus is. He says, come, be with me. The only question you have to ask and answer in your life is what are you really seeking? Because what you seek, you will find. And Jesus wants you to seek him. Because when you seek him, you find life in him. And so I was so blown away back in college. When I left that encountering with those guys, I was blown away by two realities. One was how amazing that time was and how much of an impact it was already having on me. But then the second thing was how weird it was that nobody else came. The invitation went out to over 100 people, and I was the only one that showed up. And so I called some of my friends, and I said, hey, why don't you go? And they all kind of said I was busy and I had better things to do, and I go, in a blackout? That's your excuse? You're going there? And there's always an excuse, but there's always an invitation to come and to be with Jesus. And so if it's true that they missed out on an amazing moment with three other guys, how much more is it true for us that the one who calls himself Emmanuel, God with us, wants to be with you? And we got too much other stuff to, to do. He wants to be with you. And when you sit with him, you will find what your heart is actually longing for. That Jesus in his incarnation showed us his identity. That we could accept this invitation to come and be with the one who when we're hungry, he becomes the bread of life. When we're thirsty because we've been drinking of the salt that is this world, he goes, I'm the living water. When we're tired because we've been running on empty, he goes, I am the rest for your soul. So the invitation is out there. Come and see. Believe and find life in Christ alone. Thanks for listening. We pray this message encourages you on your journey with Jesus. If you found this message helpful, feel free to share it with others and leave us a review. To learn about City Bridge and how you can take your next faithful step with Jesus, check us out online at citybridgechurch.org. You can also follow us on social at CityBridgeCC. See you next time.